Hey, everybody. I want to thank you all again for continuing to listen to the podcast. I did get some email and established a Facebook for us. So again, our Facebook page is just facebook.com slash the HBCU band experience. And I also have an email address. It is the HBCU band experience at gmail.com. So if you're interested in, you know, requesting an interview, anybody you think I may want to talk to, maybe even if it's yourself, just drop me a line on either the Facebook page or the email. So today's episode of the podcast is with my friend Stan Holloway. So a couple of episodes back, we had my friend Rashida, who is a female percussionist in a mostly male section. And so I kind of wanted to flip it the other way and have someone who is a guy playing in a predominantly female section. And Stan's story is really interesting. I got to find out some new things that I didn't know before. And so I really think you will be interested in hearing his angle being that guy who plays the piccolo. So here is my talk with Stan Holloway. I'm here with my friend Stan Holloway. He is a former member of the Marching 100 at Florida A&M University. I guess he, you're always a member. You're just not currently marching. But but he's an alum and he played the piccolo, which is really interesting because, you know, Stan's a guy. And I just always wanted to know what it was like, just like when I inter- interviewed Rashida, a while back about her being a female in a predominantly male section and being section leader, I kind of wanted to know the reverse of that with Stan. So how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fine. It's so funny because, again, it's a case of knowing somebody for so long. It's like now that I'm recording our conversations, it feels kind of feels kind of weird but I want I want us to be just relaxed and talk so okay so why don't you start off by telling me like where's your hometown and you know what was it what made you when did you start playing the flute I'm going to assume the flute first was that your first instrument yeah talk about that a little okay so cool beans um my hometown I'm originally from Columbia South Carolina and my first instrument, well, I guess my, my first wind instrument was the flute. But I originally started playing the violin. I was really into strings, and my dad was a, a real good bass player. Now, I didn't want to play bass. I want to be the opposite of my dad, so I, I picked up the violin. But, you know, I ran into a situation back then. I was walking to school in middle school, and I was carrying my violin. Me and my friend, you know, we walked to school every day, and these cops pulled us over. And he said, hey, what do you have in the case? And I was like, my instrument. And he just kind of looked me up and down. I was like, I don't believe you. Open it up. So I opened up my case, and he, he, I kind of went through. I took my instrument. I put laid everything on the ground. He was like, well, let me get out in my car and look. So he got out of the car, and he looked. And he, like, he broke my, my violin. I had my, everything like over the ground. He was like, well, I guess you don't have any drugs on you, so I'm going to leave you alone. And he just drove off. So when, right when now. Was, when was this? In the middle school. This was in the sixth grade. This is in sixth grade. This is the middle. Wow. So I say, you know what? I don't want to play that ever again. So I didn't go to stream class that day. I took my instrument. I was so embarrassed because I really, at that, at that point, I thought it was my fault. So mm-hmm. I hid my instrument in the closet. And my mom was making payments on it. So she was like, 
Wash is in your closet. I don't want to play anymore. And, you know, I told her what happened. She said, well, I understand. She was mad that I wasn't playing and she was paying for it. So I went back to school the next day. I went to the band teacher and said, hey, I want to play another instrument. His name was uh, Ken Cheeks at Alcorn Middle School. He said, well, let's, let's see what you got. So he pulled out a bunch of mouthpieces, put some brass mouthpieces, of course, you know, stereotypical guy who going to play a brass instrument. I buzzed on a few mouthpieces. He gave me a clarinet mouthpiece. I hated it. Uh, he, said, <laughs> he said, well, try this flute mouthpiece. I'm like, a flute? He was like, yeah, a flute. He gave me a flute. And I, I played the tone. He's like, you're going to play flute. I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. Went home my mom. She's like, if I go buy this dang old instrument, you stop playing it, we're going to fight. So I had no <laughs> choice but to, you know, kind of keep, you know, keep playing it. So that was the start of me playing the flute was in sixth grade. And uh, just kind of went uphill from there. Wow. I had no idea. First of all, I, I'm going to need a minute to just digest the whole police incident. Right, right. And how that, like, really changed the traje trajectory of you you know, you could have been like a champion violinist by now. Oh, my goodness. Right. And, you know, I was really faced with that choice, you know, growing up in a neighborhood that I, that I did. You know, we say that music saved people's lives. That music really saved my life because if I hadn't made a choice to go back to the band room and talk to my band director about, you know, picking up an instrument, I wouldn't have done music at all. And I would just been probably in the streets, you know, my neighborhood doing something else. So. You know, I'm glad I made that decision. I had that fork in a row at 12 or 13 to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go do music so I can do something positive with myself. And here I am. Wow, that is amazing. Okay. Well, you know, let me just go ahead and ask, like, when you switched to the flute, did you get any flack from, like, your classmates or anything? Like, did people look at you like, what is going on? Like, this guy yeah, is playing yeah. the flute. Yeah, it's, it's very stereotypical. You know, I was... I was always a big guy, so I got I was a big guy that was on the flute with a bunch of girls. And mm -hmm. then I got picked on and you know, at such a young age, I I don't want to say I was oblivious, but that's when people started questioning my sexuality. Well he's mm -hmm. gay. And I was like, what does that mean? I'm playing an instrument. Like I was so oblivious to the two, I it didn't bother me, but the more they kept saying, I'm like, why do you, why are we having this conversation about it? So, you know, I got picked on and it made my self-esteem, you know, a little low. But it was this point in school where uh we were playing, I can't I think it was called Crazy Clock. It was called Crazy Clock. And we had eight flutes and he decided, well, let's do a flute solo. And guess who he picked? Me. Yes. So when I played it at the concert, you know, by myself in front of all those people, the people stood up and clapped. I'm like, you know, that inner feeling I had of accomplishment that somebody's saying, like, you know, good job. I say, you know what? I can care less what they say about me and playing my instrument. I'm going to be good at what I do. And then, again, after that, it's going all uphill after that. Oh, wow. That's that's an awesome story. That's good. I hope that, like, inspires somebody. So, let, <laughs> so you get to high school. Mm -hmm. And so, like, how, how was that? Was that just pretty much standard experience in, in the band in high school? Did you did you come from, like, a corsage band or high-stepping? Well, it was it was more the same, but it kind of took, like, a shift. It was a little bit more aggressive um, in, in high school. Uh, I was not – I was in a – well, we did, actually did both. We high-stepping into the corsage wheels, a, a combination of Keenan High School in Columbia, South Carolina. We did a combination yeah. of both. 
actually got the band camp late. So they was already, I don't even remember why I got there late. Yeah, I don't even remember, but uh, I got there late. So my freshman year was kind of, uh, you know, I was, I was an alternate. So that didn't help my steam at all. And it wasn't because I couldn't play or anything like this, because I got there late. They already learned the show. And I don't think I was good enough to shake somebody off the tree and get a spot. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't understand what that meant at that time. I later found out. But uh, but as far as like the stereotype, well, he plays, you know, he's, he's gay, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's a big guy, got picked on. Huh. It's, it's pretty typical. It's just a lot more aggressive. You know, it's high school comes in, people's personality change, they start to be a little bit more boisterous. But uh, again, going on, got the symphonic band. And I was in symphonic band. And it was about 12 of us. And he was going down the line, play play this, play that. And I played it. Okay, well, you come from the, the 10th chair, you go to the first chair, because you play better than her. So I was, really, I was really the start of it. And that's when I really experienced kind of like, well, not kind of like the reverse sexism, you know, coming from the female to me, you mm-hmm. know, as a male. Now, I really, I, really, I really don't have an alpha male, you know, kind of personality, but back then, it's kind of, I just want to play my instrument. I don't care about anybody's personality. I, I just want to play. So through high school, you know, it was probably a little bit more difficult, but I, I got through that by playing more aggressive. I got better and better as I, as I went on. To, uh, I expressed myself through my instrument. So you can talk about me, but let's get on this horn. Let's see who got it now. Mm-hmm. They, they, wouldn't, they, they wouldn't bother me at that. So after my sophomore year, uh, then my junior year, I sexually I became band president. You know, I had more of a voice. I got more involved in the band. And then it was, oh, that's just Stan. It wasn't like the guy that plays the flute. It was Stan. And I just had to play the flute, and I was good at it. And that's all it was. Right. Okay. Okay. So, FAMU, let's talk about that. What made you want to go to FAMU and, you know, talking about, you know, your transition to college? So, um, I didn't go to school right away. I stayed home to help my mom out, and I went to culinary school. Right. Went to culinary school. I was supposed to go to family at 98. You know, traditionally, you leave school, high school, you go straight to college. I was supposed to go in 98, but I took about two years. And I got there in 2000. During those two years, just a little bit of story, um, I was still kind of on the fence about where I wanted to go. I always liked FAMU. I mean, that was really in the back of my head. I was, I was going to FAMU, but I was like, well, what are my other options? You know, naturally, I want you to go to South Carolina State. I was like, mm, that's home. Right. Home, you know, um, I had Auntie on the brain, had Norfolk on the brain. I even had John C. Smith on the brain, uh, you know, back then. Uh, but this one, you know, my final, my final decision was I went to South Carolina State for like this jazz band kind of concert. And they was doing the typical recruiting, you know, talking to people and, uh, you know, what do you play, where you come from? And now I'm standing in the, the midst of all of them. Nobody had any instrument. We're just standing there talking. Um, and he's like, well, what do you play? I said, well, I play flute. He said, well, I don't need you. He went to the next one. What do you play? Well, I play trumpet. Oh, yeah, we're going to get you a special scholarship. What? <laughs> does my musical talents, you know, doesn't grace me a scholarship? You know, I can't come because I, I play flute or a piccolo or whatever. And my question wasn't answered. It's kind of left unanswered. I didn't really uh, talk to anyone about that. It's like that was the last feeling that I had. I'm like, well, I'm definitely not going there. FAMU came up. And I was like, well, I've been to band camp at FAMU. I understand that 
there are people there that I looked up to. Well, I didn't really, well, I looked up to them not knowing who they were. I just saw them in performance. I always saw those male clarinet players, uh, piccolo players. I saw all of them, you know, flags. I saw all of them. And I figured, well, man, that's a place I can go where I can be, just saying that I played a piccolo. It had nothing to do. That was important. You know, what was a very prominent at FAMU. So I said, well, I'm going to choose FAMU. And off the FAMU. That makes a lot of sense. You know, representation does matter. <laughs> it matters. And, you know, I felt not that, you know, I was real strong on a and I was real strong on a because I knew a lot of people there naturally because a lot of people from my high school went there. Uh, we always went to their homecoming. And Norfolk was like the band I first saw in 97. They impressed me when they came to South Carolina State. So, and, you know, that what wins are, you know, were pretty good. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I, I can go there. You know, I go there, but FAMU was at the top of my list, and I just had to get a scholarship, and I talked to Dr. White, and I was down there. Okay. So you went to their camp as a high schooler, their um, their camp. Okay. So how was, how was that? Did you – I don't want to say – culture shock but you know just going from like a small smaller band to having so many people at that camp how, how was that it was a culture shock because i've never been in a band at large uh we maybe had a hundred you know students in my high school band and then you go to band camp and it's 550 so i was like what i mean just seeing it's one thing seeing it on a tape but being a part of it is a totally different experience i mean I couldn't hear myself play <laughs> the mm-hmm. first time. And I thought I was pretty loud, you know, as a piccolo player. I couldn't hear myself play. So it, it, was, it, was, it was a culture shock just being a part of it. You know, it was one thing seeing it being a part of it. It was totally different. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, you know, your parents always tell you, there's someone out there that's always better than you. And when I went to camp, I thought, I was, you know, I thought I was, I was good. You know, I, I, was, I was the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a bunch of females out in Florida that was way better than me, way better than me. And that kind of forced me to kind of, you need to step your game up a little bit more before you, you make your decision. So taking that and going to FAMU, you know, my freshman year um, as a male pickle player, it was uh, it was challenging at first. Naturally, the same stereotypical stuff. You know, people didn't know me. I think there's one other person in the band that was from my same high school, uh, Kenneth Ayers. We both went to the same high school. We went down there together. So only, other, only one other person knew me besides the people who knew me from that came to camp. And it was a little bit more aggressive. <laughs> right. It was a little bit more aggressive. You know, like so more intense. Yeah, it was more intense with the, uh, the teasing and picking. You know, I was a freshman. And then, you know, <laughs> my, my first my first day, Dr. White, <laughs> I love Dr. White, he made this grand speech about, you know, freshman are separate from the band. You come out to the field and you wear whatever you want to wear. You don't have to wear a white shirt. I said that little like, I don't have to wear a white shirt. Mm-hmm. So I showed up in my high school band fit. I had a gold shirt that said Martin Keenan Red Royal Band on it and some blue shorts. I had blue and gold fubus and everything. I showed up and guess what? All the other freshmen in white shirt. So I'm the only one out of 150 freshmen that had on that fit. Oh no! So wait a minute. Why didn't you get the memo? What, what was going on there? I th- I I got the memo, but I think I was kind of like I'm going to try the system because Dr. White said I didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that wasn't the underlying. <laughs> 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 so I showed up and I was the only one. So all eyes were on me, 
across the whole band, you had all the freshmen looking at me, all the upperclassmen, band staff looking at me. Big guy played piccolo. So I started, I kind of, that was kind of self-inflicting. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, my my path at FAMU, you know, especially my freshman year was a little, you know, a little tough, especially musically. You know, I, I can say that openly because, uh, like I said, there's someone always better than you. When I got there, I knew two marches. That was uh, Them Bases and Purple Carnival. Mm-hmm. And we played a different version of Purple Carnival than I played at FAMU. So when I got there, I said, what is this on this music? It's a bunch of trills. I mean, I literally stared at music. I said, I don't, I, I don't know this. And all the other girls around me were bred in Florida. Mm. Every single March that FAMU played, they can play up and down and backwards. And I was sitting like, bloop, 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 bloop. I, you know, I couldn't do it. So uh, my first year was, was challenging. Uh, being a male piccolo player and not, I won't say I wasn't the best, but I wasn't as good as everybody else. So my freshman year was very challenging. Hmm, okay. Wow. <laughs> so let's talk about that first year as far as games go. I know you probably want to mention the Florida Classic because like that's the, the end of everything. Um, but, you know, are there any games that stood out like your first year that, you know, you're like, it, it, just any games that stood out that are memorable? Three in particular versus Anti. I remember that game. In was, what at, year? Was it was it two thousand? It must have been two thousand. I think it was. It's starting to run together now. Jeez, I think it was Anti. I mean, that's twenty uh, years ago. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Uh, well, well, no, I, I take it back. I, I remember uh, South Carolina State was memorable because that was my first game marching against my peers in high school. So I got to see them across the field. We got to, you know, well, I really couldn't talk, but I got to see them, you know. So I, I remember that first performance against them in Jacksonville. The next one would be the Southern game. Um, mm. that, that was an experience in itself. That was uh, my first time in a really intense band battle at Florida a and I mean, and, and T. Walls had a good, you know, camaraderie. So it's, I would say it was lax, but it was good, you know. Well, at Southern, mm-hmm. it was intense from the time we put on the campus with people throwing trash at us till we got off the bus and people throwing stuff at us from the snake walk to the stadium to the first note blowing, going back and forth with Southern. And, you know, they were, I would say they were not the greatest, but they're not the usual Southern that we would typically would see. There's a little, a little, I would say weak, but it wasn't a typical Southern. I guess it was down a down year, whatever was going on there. So wait a minute, you were getting stuff thrown at you in your home stadium? No, this is in at in um, Baton Rouge. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was about to say. Nah, 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 nah. Mm-hmm. I don't care nothing like that in Tallahassee, but at their stadium, yes. So again, okay. that was the first. That was the first intense, you know, band battle I had, you know, at FAMU, and it was a good experience. People have their opinions about it, and you know, I'll say that we we proverbially put our foots on their butts. And it was a good game, you know? It was a good game. Uh, it's always an apples and oranges thing when I think of family playing Southern. I always yeah. just think of it as apples and oranges. Like, you know? Yeah, it's – I can like – I like both. Like, I like – I actually like the, the, the Southern now, the current Southern, like 2011, like, to now versus the previous one. But I can appreciate what they do. And when they go against FAMU – now my mind's a little bit more open, so it's not like, oh, I'm all fan me. There's nothing they can do that impress me. No, they do some stuff that make me turn my head. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Mm, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> apples and oranges, apples and oranges. But uh, mm-hmm. now back then, uh, that was my first intense game. And then the, the second will be the Florida Classic. You know, uh, so tell me, tell tell me, like I think I know what's up, but you know I can't assume that anybody, everybody's listening, knows what's up. I, I mean, I know y'all. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was the, the official, you know, crossing of into the March one hundred. I made it into the March one hundred uh, as that game, and that feeling. I guess they deprive you from it so much throughout the season. You know, you're a freshman, you stay in your place, and you know it's like they they hunger. The, the care over your head when you get to the Florida Classic and you've been hunting. So it's like our mouths like foaming, like we got got to get there. So that's why the shows are always so intense at the Florida Classic because you got a large population of the band, the freshmen. That's like this is it. This this is our time to, you know, cross you know in into the band. So that it 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 was, it was a great experience. It was a good experience, you know. And, and that was probably the largest crowd you've played in front of, you think, in the Florida Classic? Large, that was the largest class. Uh, yeah, that was the largest crowd up until that point. Because um, we had a few classes before in some home games, but that was that was memorable. You, you, as soon as we walked in the stadium, it was filled with 60,000 people, you know, at pregame, you know, and then it turned to 70 and 75, and to hear them roaring and applause, you know, before we got on the field. I mean, you know, back then, the only thing we had to do was flap our cape and everybody would go crazy, you know, um, just to kind of hear that and see that was a, was a great experience, uh, you know, uh, back then. So, yeah, that, that was very memorable. Very memorable. Okay. Okay. All right. So, let's move on to sophomore year. Like, when did you become um, section leader? Uh, that was my sophomore year. And okay. I honestly, um, I didn't plan on being section leader that soon. Actually, we, we do, like, applications. We do an interview process down there. We try out. When I filled out my application, I filled out rank sergeant. I was very humble, and I wanted to work on my craft and my plans so I can be a sex leader. I didn't think I was there yet. So I applied for rank sergeant, and then they always announced, well, at least back then, the sex leaders and rank sergeants, at, well, the sex leaders and drum majors and leaders, officer leaders at commencement. So it was making an announcement, and he called my name. He called uh, the sex leader name first, uh, Ray Song Concello was the sex leader uh, back then, my freshman and that year. And they said, well, assistant, you know, section leader Piccolo is Stanley Hollow. And I was like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? And everybody turned their heads and looked at me. And I was like, okay. And then from that moment on, the heat got turned up because, you know, I was in the front of the rank instead of the back or in the middle. I was in the front of the way. That means people was looking to me for leadership. So I really had to work really hard over that summer before band camp. The work of my marching, you know, what I look like in front of them, and my playing. I mean, it was all eyes on me now because, of course, it's the reverse sexism. You got mm-hmm. the females who are like, I should have been sexually. He shouldn't be sexually. And blah, 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 blah. And they tried me like, really hard. I mean, they tried me hard, you know. And, again, you know, my personality, I'm not going to be combative verbally or physically. I'm going to play. I'm going to show you through my playing. And the minute they heard me play, at that level, everybody left me alone, you know? Okay. And I became, again, finding my place. I was just Stan who played Piccolo. It wasn't right. all the stuff uh, that came with it. was just Stan who played Piccolo. They already knew my personality. They already knew me as a person. And then my playing and my leadership kind of came in the middle of there. So, and again, my, uh, my Neo year, my sophomore year was very challenging. 
again, I had another challenge because I was a leader in front of a section of really good players and marchers and who didn't think I deserved to be up there. So every day, every week, every game, I was constantly proving myself that I, I can do this and I deserve, I deserve to be up here just like you would deserve to be up here. So um, that, was, that, 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 was, that was challenging. So I, it, this is my personal opinion. I think um, the, the section that is most on the hot seat in FAMU's band is the piccolo section because y'all are featured so much, and especially like, you know, in Stars and Stripes Forever. I know the director had y'all stand up during the trio and all that. Like, I, I just felt like y'all are even much more under the microscope. But I, what I think is remarkable about this is that like in one year, you went from like somebody that didn't really know their music as well as it could be all the way to section leader in one yeah. year. Yeah, that, that's, that's my story. That's, that's my legacy. You know, we had on our search as the legacy continues. That, that means something, you know, uh, you know, that's my legacy that I, I, I never wouldn't, you know, kind of backtracking a little bit back to my freshman year, it became really more eye-opening at the South Carolina State game. Um, Dr. White pulled the audible with standing concert band formation. He said, fly the bomb I'm like, wait, I don't think I practiced that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I stood there and I, I can I got a pretty really good ear, so I can figure it out on the way, but I, I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. After that I said, Oh no, he will not get me again. And I went up to the fourth floor of the other of the band building, of the music building, and practiced every day, all marching and fly to the Bumby. And sure enough, about a week later, he said, fly to Bumby. He said, nope. He started going down the line. And he got to me, and I played it. I said, you will never, ever get me again. That's so, right. So my, my, my playing elevated, you know, every year I was at FAMU. It got better and better and better and better. So mm-hmm. I can't be as arrogant to say that I was the greatest player my you know my entire time at family that's not true I had to I had to build to the player that I am now you know even back then so mm-hmm. to, to, to your point we, we were featured a lot the woodwinds in particular so I had no choice but to learn that music because we, we were right there in the front all the time so well wow so when did you do KK sign what year was that that was spring 2002 uh, during my sophomore year. Okay, okay. So when you came back for, you know, like your junior and senior year, you're like the big man on campus now, like in the band room, yeah, section leader, like, you saw, I mean. <laughs> who I was, you know, you say my name, people knew who I, who I was, not only at family, but in other places. You know, I, I'll never forget, we, I went to Howard's homecoming one year, and, you know, I was there just having fun, like, you're Stan, you're the pick old section leader family. I said, I am. <laughs> that's what I kind of knew you as though honestly like that's back in the day that's what I knew you as and I'm like oh, that's why I want to have you on here because I think it's a very unique situation and good situation yeah yeah so you did a lot of mentoring didn't you when you know when I you were did. in leadership positions right yeah it, it started band camp my sophomore year when I first became assistant sex leader um, some of the band campers um, were tasked with making a story to get scholarships. You know, talk about, you know, who's your inspiration? Who's your, you know, who's the person that you look up to? And one, you know, camper in particular, her name is Nicole Horton. She made a piece and wrote this whole, almost a dissertation about 
how she looked up to me. And I was like, did I make that much of an impact, you know, on you when you came in? She was like, yeah, you did. And mm-hmm. she, you know, she laid it out and I was like, almost, you know, bring a tear to my thought. And I was generally, you know, I felt some kind of wake up. I was like, I really made an impact on someone's life, you know, through my planning, through, you know, my personality, through my leadership. And she later on came to fan you, you know, and that's like my, my kid. That's, you know, that's my, my that's, that's my kid. You know, I can pick up the phone and call her right now. You know, we, we're very close. And um, so that moment right there, I kind of took that and wanted to mentor to all the students who came up, you know, not only in the piccolo section, but, you know, throughout the band, but I did most of it throughout the piccolo section. And, you know, I was tasked, well, we, we both were, we were tasked with, I'm going to say as openly as I can without opening another can of worms. We were tasked with being a good section, being good players without the hazing. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, what did it look like? I was 240, 50 pounds in trying to haze or do whatever to, to females who were smaller than me. So I had to find other ways to, to get my point across to get them good at what they're doing without all the extra stuff. Because we was the only section in the entire band that didn't have a section. There was no five, no nothing, not section. It was just the piccolos. Okay. So, um, so no names, no like. No name. There was. It died out in 95 and never came back again. But it came back. Well, that's another story. But uh, during my time, it wasn't there. It was, mm-hmm. There was no section. There was, no, there was really no, I guess, proverbially say, there was no repercussions of not doing good. It's like come to the house at seven or whatever. That other stuff came. It was none of that. It was just. What are you gonna go tell Dr. White? I I made you play Rolling Thunder repeatedly and it made mm-hmm. your hands hurt. Please go tell him. I'll go with you. If you give me a white letter, then I will take the L on that. But no, it was we had to do that through music. So um uh, you know I, that that mentorship, you know, going through the students was, you know, a, a powerful, a powerful thing for me. Okay, okay. So that so you finished at FAM and then you were you ever, you were never a band director, were you? But I know you do arranging. I know you do that. I always did things behind the scenes. I started off in music, and I don't know how I got off track. I got off track, and I, I once I didn't have an interest in it, but I didn't have an interest in it to be a band director. I just wanted to do it. So I got a good paying job, you know, right out of a family, you know, retail. And I've always had a really good paying job since then. So I never fully went back to it. I always did things behind the scenes. I did drill writing, I did band camps, I did arranging, some composing, I did private lessons, you know, all behind the scenes, but I never took a title to say, hey, I'm staying the band director of XYZ. I just, I just, I just never did it. Now, late in the game, I'm doing that, but no, I, I never, I never done that before. So weren't you, okay, so don't, don't get me lying here, but you were working to, you had a master's degree or working towards a master's degree in music? Yes, I have. I had one in management leadership. Then I have a bachelor's in music production. And now I'm working on a master's in music education. I should be finishing here in, in December. I'm working on my thesis now. Awesome. Okay, so what's your thesis on? Continuing music education during the pandemic. Okay. That's you better be appropriate. Okay. Yeah. And as soon as I put that title here, Prudent immediately said, get right on it. So that's. 
that's that's my thesis. I gotta do a hundred and twenty five page thesis. I'm probably at page sixty five right now, but okay. Oh, I'm working on it. I'm working on yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I wish you the absolute best of luck. And so I wanna go ahead and wrap it up here, but before we do, I want to um ask you if you have any like parting words of advice or just some parting words to just, you know, kind of wrap up your your experience in, in the music world? My advice would be, I guess, to anybody who chooses to pick up a, a instrument, you know, don't be defined by a, stereo, a stereotype, be defined by the person that you are who's playing the instrument. You know, you have females who play brass instruments and they say, oh, you can't play that. No, no, you play whatever you want to play. Whatever you, you feel in your heart, that's what you should do. You know, be the person that you are through that instrument. It doesn't matter if you're male or female or the opposite instrument are very stereotypical. Don't follow the, stereo the stereotype if you don't feel like you want to play the instrument. Play what you feel like you want to play. I have lots of friends and lots of colleagues who, who would play the opposite, quote unquote, you know, who go against the status quo and they're, they're great at what they do. So, uh, you know, make that your superpower. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And make that your superpower. You know, go against the grain. You know, and be, and be great at it. There's nothing, there's nothing more fulfilling than being great at something at something people think you can't do or you shouldn't do. You know, that's that's the greatest accomplishment. You slap it right in their face. All right, bandheads. That concludes my interview with Stan Holloway. I hope y'all have a great week. I'm gonna go and enjoy some of my virtual homecoming activities now. Take care. You have listened to the HBCU Band Experience with Christy Walker. Interviews and editing conducted by yours truly, Dr. Christy Walker. The music is District 4 by Kevin McLeod. And you can find this podcast on hbcubandexperience.podbean.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Take care.